All right, we're in a series on gaining meaning in our lives, living out a meaningful life. I don't know about you, but when it's all said and done, I want to know that my life was meaningful. When I'm lying on my deathbed, it would be great to look back and think, man, at least I gave it my best. I lived a meaningful life. I did something that matters with people, things that matter. That's what I want. Am I alone? I don't think so. I think all of us want that. And so what does it take? It takes stopping and getting my life in order with what God wants me to do and why he created me. And it's so important to stop and just go, okay, what is my life about? And so that's what this series has been about, is to take a moment and say, all right, I've come this far, I've done this, I've learned this, I've, I've got these patterns in my life, I've even got these habits in my life. Is this where I want to go from here? And here's a question, what will future you be grateful for that you made a decision at this time in your life? What will you be able to look back and go, man, I'm so glad that me then made that decision to move beyond that or to, to change my lifestyle or to move a different direction or to pursue God in my life and His purpose in my life. What will future you be grateful for that you do today? It's a better question than what will future you be angry with you about from today, isn't it? What will future you hate that you made that decision to not do today. And so coming to a place where we make our lives meaningful and we decide, all right, I'm going to live a meaningful life. And what's, what, what's more meaningful than going after what God says, this is what makes his life meaningful. So we're talking about the epitome of life. We're talking about the greatest things that we can accomplish on this planet. And that's what God offers us in the kingdom of God. So today we're going to talk a little bit about experiencing the God life. How many of you uh, I've heard the saying, experiencing the good life, right? Well, we're going to talk about experiencing the God life today. And uh, the struggle our generation faces at some level is unlike any other previous generation. Our minds and emotions have been trained how to be content with, ex with experiencing someone else's story in life. Let that, just think about that. Our minds and our emotions have been trained how to be content with experiencing someone else's story. Why do I say that? Because we have movies and we have TV programs and we watch these stories and we watch these people in our, and we connect with them so much. The movies and TV programs that, that, that we connect with the most, there's characters in there that we feel connected to, aren't there? There's, and, and the strongest ones are the ones that have multiple characters that people can connect with, like the Brady Bunch. Anybody remember the Brady Bunch? Now I'm dating myself, aren't I? Is there an updated version of the Brady Bunch? I don't know if there is or not. <laughs> well, you going to tell us about them? Or <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Yeah, I've really dated myself. All right, the Brady Bunch, that's the best I could come up with for the moment, all right? You know, there's six kids, and there's, there's the small one, the medium-sized one, and then there's the larger one, and boys and girls. And that's why it was so popular, because any child of any age could connect with it. They're like, oh, I'm Bobby. And then later, you're, you're what's the other one's names? I don't know. Greg, thank you. Rocky, I think that was. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. 
It, people could connect with it. Why? Because there was, there was, there was such a diversity. Uh, the, the Seinfeld, we could all connect with somebody there. You know, some of you connected with George and some of you connected with Elaine. What about friends? There's, there's this big group of people. So we connect with people that, that kind of remind us of ourselves, our personalities, and they had all these different personalities on there and they made them friends or siblings. And, that's how, and we got to live out their adventures in the life that they had. And, the, and we do the same thing with movies, don't we? We put ourselves in that movie and, and I'm Maverick. I'm going to drive this airplane, you know? It's, it's, it's amazing how we can live out someone else's adventure, even though it's just made up. And what's in, interesting is also that we can do the same thing in the Bible, we can look at the Bible and see things from that perspective. And it's like, it's like looking into a snow globe. And we shake the snow globe up and there's this beautiful snowstorm. And we just, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be in that snowstorm today? It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? But you shake it up and you just, remember when you were a kid, you could just sit there and watch it and watch it and watch it. So nice. I'd like to be there. We had one that had little uh, the Santa's little uh, houses and stuff in it. And my brain, when I was a kid, I could just go there. And I, I loved Rudolph. That was a fun, fun story. And I just imagine playing with Rudolph. You know, you could go into that life. And and we've learned how to use our imagination like that. The sad reality is we've trained our emotions to settle for never experiencing these things firsthand. And we can imagine it, therefore we just, okay. There's no disappointment in imagining. There's no potential of real loss when you just imagine. There's no frustration in just imagining. You can go there and you can just enjoy watching and nobody can mess it up. Nobody can stop it. Nobody can tell you to stop. It's just me and my imagination. In the quest for adventure, we've learned that it's better to experience someone else's story and to never go after our own. And this frame of mind is exactly how so many people have gotten caught into Christianity in a bad way. Deep inside, we all have this desire to experience God. But how do we really experience Him? How do we get into that world where we experience Him? If we could somehow just get into that snow globe, if we could somehow get into that world that God has where He's doing things and actually experience Him. So we sit in church week after week and we listen to sermons and even preach sermons about David and Goliath, about Moses crossing the Red Sea, about Jesus hanging on the cross, about Paul experiencing shipwreck and, and near death and being stoned. And man, those are such great adventurous stories. And Jesus healing the blind and healing the, the, the deaf and all the things that Jesus did. We've trained ourselves, though, to be content with hearing about those stories and imagining those stories. But God is calling us to something more, and that is 
that we become people who actually experience these things in our own personal lives. And the question is then, how do we get into that story? How do we get into what God is doing? That's a real question, isn't it? How do we experience the God life? So this sounds very simple, and, and, but I'm, I'm a simple person if you haven't figured it out. Here's how it begins. You set your focus on knowing God. You ask questions. How do you begin to know God? You have to think about, you have to think about getting to know Him. That is to set your thoughts and set your affection on Him. You know what I mean when I say set your affection on Him? When you go to pick out a dog, what do you do? You look to see which, which dog you could possibly set your affections on, right? And then suddenly you grab onto one and go, oh, this is it. This is the dog. Well, how did you choose that one? This one has this. This one has this. This is the difference with this one and this one. And suddenly you set your affections on one of them and you're like, okay, this is my dog. I'm going to take this dog home. It's the same way that you choose to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to move my affections from something in this world and I'm going to set them on God. I choose to love God. I set my affection on. So here's the question that you've got to ask. One of the questions. What does God like to do? You tell me. What have you learned that God likes to do? What have you heard that God likes to do? Truth? Who said truth? Oh, Damon. All right. Love? Bless? What else? Someone else said something earlier. He loves to spend time with us, doesn't he, Elaine? That's good. What else? What, is, what does God like to do? Save? Train us? Very good. He likes to guide us. Absolutely. He likes to make things. Yeah. Spending time with us. Yeah. Yeah, and we have, a, we have a churchy word called evangelism for that, right? Very good, Mark, yeah. Yeah, he likes just to use ordinary people, right? Just ordinary people. That's why he's using me. Why he'll use you, right, Damon? What else? The desires of our heart, he likes to do that. Which to bless us. That's right. He loves to bless us, doesn't he? Yeah, to turn to him in times of struggle and happiness. God likes when we turn to him. See, all of you have said so many wonderful things that God likes to do. And, you know, that's the thing is getting to know who he is is getting to know what he likes. But it's also getting to know what he doesn't like, isn't it? And we could sit here and list those things as well. And all of us will end up going, oh, man, 
<laughs> I need to get saved again. All right, so let me ask you this question. Uh, well, maybe you can ask this question, you know, in your brain, in your heart, in your mind. If he's here with us right now, and he is, if he's here with you right now, what would he be doing with what's around us? What's that? Glorifying the Father? Yeah, Jesus would be, wouldn't he? Absolutely. I wonder what he would have looked like in worship this morning. I don't know. He'd probably visit with the kids. Lord knows he'd probably be out there with the kids. What would he be doing with the people sitting next to you? What would he be doing with the sermon? Boy, talk about a little intimidation during the sermon. Jesus is sitting here. What does God like to think about? What do I do that God gets enjoyment from? What do you do that God in heaven says, whoa, wait a second, everybody. Look what's happening on earth. Look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. Oh, man, this is awesome. When does he peel back the curtains of heaven and stop everything and say, look what Dane is doing. Oh, my goodness, this is amazing. What do you do that brings joy to him? You know, we just listed all the things that he enjoys. It's this life with him is way more than just not doing what he doesn't want. Let me say that again. This life is way more than just not doing what he doesn't like. This life is way more than that. There's purpose, there's meaning, there's good things that you can do that will cause him to stop and go, oh, they get it, they love me, they pay attention, this is what I like. And it's, and it's not only something that God likes, but the reason he likes it is because it's healthy and good for everybody. It's a wonderful life, and, and you get God's attention with it. What does he want you to do with your life? That's a great question. These are the things that we ask when we're wanting to get to know who He is and, and understanding a relationship with Him. And this is why our Bible reading is so important. This is one of the reasons why it is important to be in church and, and to study and to understand who He is is so that you can, you can understand what he, what he does, what He likes and what He doesn't like. But there's more to this Christian life than just studying. Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. Hey, listen, I like it, and you guys hear us. We t we've got classes, so I'm not saying that those are wrong. But what I'm saying is, is there's way more to this Christian life than just studying and just reading. And just it's, it, Jesus said this in John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. How many of you want it to the full? That's what Jesus came to do. That's what Jesus came to do. And if you look in the Bible, there, there are words that often describe a Christian. You'll find words like love, give, believe, and serve. And those are all good things that we do, right? But there's another huge opportunity that Mark mentioned earlier. This is a huge opportunity for you to come closer to God. Do you want to hear about it? 
It's a great opportunity for you to become closer to God. And when you do this, you're doing something that is not only near and dear to God's heart, but you're also doing something that is His own personal mission in life. You have the opportunity to experience God through this big Christian word, evangelism. What is evangelism? It's sharing Jesus with others. It's telling others about Him. Oh, John, my stomach just starts churning when you even say it. Let's change, change that spirit, change that attitude. I don't know what you've been taught about it, but it's very organic. And if it's anything other than organic, then yeah, your stomach's going to turn. Just telling people what Jesus has done for you. It's as simple as that. Have you thought about what he's done for you? Well, let me go ahead and ask that question. What has Jesus done for you? Loving, taught you to care for people. He died on the cross for you. Now, Sandy, it's hard for us to believe that you needed Jesus to die on the cross because you're such a wonderful person. Did you need your sin forgiven? Did you need your sin to be forgiven? Yeah. All of us needed our sin to be forgiven, right? And that's why he died on the cross for us. Yeah. What else did he do for you? Gave you deliverance. That's awesome. Yeah, he provided a church body church family where you could belong even when you don't belong in the world come on what did what did Jesus do for you yeah he's protected us in ways that we don't even know about What's that? He takes care of the, the sick and the unhealthy. Absolutely. Wes? So many times you look and, and he's been there and you didn't even know it. And he helped you through it. It's the old footprints in the sand thing, right? Yeah, you can always see him looking back, can't you? <clears throat> can't see God looking forward, but you can see him looking back. 
That's right. You know he's going to be there. He gets us through those bad times. Absolutely. Gives us hope for the future. Come on. What has Jesus done for you? Raised you from the dead. That's awesome. He's been a friend. I think you were going to say something, Mark. He gave Mark a wife. That was a miracle, <laughs> wasn't it? Absolutely. <clears throat> you see, these, these are the questions we have to think about in order to share Christ. In order to do what God loves us to do the most, you see, this is his mission. And in order to accomplish that mission, we have to stop and we have to think about what has he done for me that I could share with somebody today? He saved me. He forgave me. He healed me or he raised me from the dead. We've got to hear that story at some point, Dana. We've got we've to stop and think about all that he's done for us through the years. And then there's all the stuff that he's done for us that we didn't even know as as. As Wes and Shelley mentioned, you know, there's stuff that he's done for us throughout the day that we don't even know. You thought you forgot where your keys were, but it was God just kind of moved them so that you would miss an accident. You don't have a clue what you have been protected from. There's so much that we have to be grateful for. And if we don't take time to be people of gratitude so that we can pass that information on to somebody else, we're going to miss the opportunities that God has given us all throughout the day and all throughout the week. When you start talking about Jesus, huge points with God. When you start telling people of what He's done for you, He notices. I love this story. One day Jesus was with His disciples and, and John, the beloved, spoke up and He said, Teacher, we saw a man using your name to expel demons and we stopped him because he wasn't in our group. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? And Jesus is like, what? <laughs> Says he wasn't pleased. Don't stop him. No one can use my name to do something good and powerful and in the next breath slam me. If he's not an enemy, he's an ally. <laughs> Why anyone, ju by just giving up you up a cup of water in my name, is on our side, count on it that God will notice. Look at what Jesus said. Count on it. God's going to notice. When you do anything in my name, God is going to notice. 
So, you know, it's just an awesome story. And then he says, on the other hand, if you give one of these simple childlike believers a hard time bullying or taking advantage of their simple trust, you'll soon wish you hadn't. So Jesus gets on to him here. He's like, guys, please don't mess with somebody that's using my name and something good is coming of it. Let them let them do it. You'd be better off dropped in the middle of the lake with a millstone tied around your neck. Don't mess with people using my message and sending it out. That's that's fair for us to know, isn't it? Here's the point. God notices when you share his name, when you use his name and when you deliver his name to other people. God notices that. It's his mission. It's his purpose. And he's given you an invitation to be a part of that. And we don't we, we just make it too hard. We make it way too hard. Oh, man, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Just tell him your story. Just tell him what he's done for you. But you've got to know what he's done for you. And the enemy will try to stop you from remembering what he's done for you. But look back on your life and see what he's done for you. And that's what you get to use to share people, to share Christ with people. James warned the first Christians. He says, hey, don't deceive yourselves by just listening to his word. Instead, put it into practice. It's so important for us to not just know what God has said, but to do what God has said. You know, we can study about God and never experience Him and never really get to know Him. The way to knowing God is experiencing Him. Experience Him. Deuteronomy chapter 11, God was communicating to the Israelites. He says, remember today what you've learned about the Lord through your experiences with Him. Experiencing God. One day... Jesus had a few disciples, and they were high up on a hill, on a mountain. And Jesus was there, and he was what the Bible called transfigured. If you've ever read the story, it's an incredible moment. And while they were there, Moses and Elijah showed up. You know, Moses is dead. His bones were buried long ago. Uh, Then Elijah, he was taken up into a cloud. So these two guys show up, and they're talking to Jesus. That's a pretty awesome story, isn't it? And so they're there, and and this cloud enveloped them, and God the Father actually spoke to them, but this was an amazing experience. Peter, James, and John, those three guys were there, and they were just standing in amazement, and finally, Peter, and it's kind of funny the way the scripture reads, because it, it gives you this, you ever been in a moment where you didn't know what to say, and you just felt like something needed to be said? And Peter was that kind of guy, and, and he was just like, um... Let me in on this. He said, uh, you know what? I think we need to build tabernacles up here for each of you three. And all of a sudden, the smoke dissipated. The, the guys left. Elijah and Moses were gone. Actually, G, or God the Father spoke in that moment. And he said, this is my son in whom I, I love and listen to him. In other words, Peter, be quiet. Stop talking. Listen to what my son says. And the experience was gone. It was an amazing experience that they had with Jesus. But here's what's interesting also. Scripture says they came down off the mountain. That was God's plan. His plan was never to build tabernacles up there on the mountain. Oh, come on. Let's, let's build a shrine or let's build 
something, let's build a mosque where we can come, and, and or a monastery or something, where we can come and just worship, and, and this is a holy place. That wasn't God's intent of that moment. They experienced God, and they came off of the mountain to do what? To be with the people and to share Christ with the people. Listen, you can experience God in your prayer as well. He can show up and He can touch you during your time of prayer. And I hope that that happens for you tonight. But God isn't interested in just that. God wants you to go out and experience Him in the streets with your neighbors, with your co-workers, and in your family. It's experiencing God in ways that's beyond just some kind of a personal experience in a prayer time. That's important. But God wants you to take it out. Study without service equals judgmental and prideful Christians. You ever met a judgmental and prideful Christian? Some of you have. Yeah, this is why. Study without service. Without experience, we become judgmental and prideful. Now, if you have eight years of college courses under your belt and you hardly have any experience, all you've got is a lot of information without any wisdom, right? And I, I, I talk with people who've made school their life, but they've never started using what they learned in school, actually, to gain experience. And study without experience leads to pride. And so what does it look like? This is the, this is the medical student that comes into the operating room with a 20-year veteran and starts telling them how to stitch up the, the, the patient, right? And, or it's the, it's the teenager who just read an article on war and goes and tells a general how to win the war. And that just doesn't make sense, but that's what happens. We, we've, we gain some head knowledge and it becomes prideful instead of going and actually doing something with it. At, at Relate Church, we call these people self-smarted. Self-smarted people. Uh, they don't have experience, but they got a lot of answers for life. And they've never driven a race car, but they'll tell you how to drive a race car, right, Damon? <laughs> they'll tell you how to climb those rocks. They'll, they'll, they, they've never launched a rocket, but they could tell you how to launch a rocket. They've never shepherded the body of Christ, but they'll tell you how to shepherd the body of Christ. And sadly, this is what happens when it comes to reaching the lost. We have a lot of people that can tell us how to reach the lost, and, and we ought to reach the lost, but we have... We have, when are we going to have people that have actually experienced reaching the lost? And so what I'm talking about is going out and becoming a person that actually experiences somebody coming to Christ because of your words, because of your experience, because of what God has done in your life, that you're able to finally begin to experience expel that from your body and just just let it come out and tell somebody this is what Jesus did for me listen I don't I don't know what he wants to do for you but I do know that he, he did this for me and if you'll turn to him today he'll do something in your life it's not hard it's not rocket science and here's what I also know that when we sit around and we study it too much the more we study it, the less we want to we want to tell people about it and so what happens is is we stop believing in the four-letter word called hell. And what I found in, in, in my experience is that the people that read and study about evangelism, most often the teaching on evangelism, that they gravitate towards there being no hell anymore, that, that it, they learn that it's offensive to mention hell like Jesus did in his evangelism. Because when a, a Christian believes that there's a hell, 
Well, they experience evangelism. They experience God in helping them to tell the story. You see, hell motivates us to tell people about Jesus. I know some people I don't want to go there, don't you? And there's a reason Jesus was passionate on the cross. What was that reason? Hell. He didn't want anybody to go there. The cross was not overkill. The cross was him saying, this is real. This is real. And this is what I'm willing to do to make sure that every one of you, all of your friends, all your family, all your neighbors are welcome to go to heaven. You see, the way to get to know God is through study and service, doing what he's called you to do. You have to have both. We get experiences with God when we learn about him through study and practice. And discipleship leads to experiential maturity. Growing in Christ leads to you having an experienced maturity in Christ. And when we practice and learn, and learn and then practice it, we learn about God. And that's how you get to know Him. It's not just asking questions and getting knowledge, but it's getting up and actually doing something with it. So let me ask you this. What's the last thing you learned about God? And have you shared that with anybody yet? You see, it's healthy to take food in, but if the food doesn't come out and you take more food in and you just keep eating, but nothing comes out... What happens? You get sick, right? The spiritual life can be the same way. It's important for you to process everything that God gives you. What's the last thing you learned about God and from God? And did you process that? And have you been able to get it out? Have you been able to share it with somebody? It's so important for us in our spiritual lives to be healthy in such a way. And when you do that, it's called ministry. We get experiences with God when we do ministry as well. And if you want to experience God, you've got to get yourself involved in the things that God wants you to do. This this doesn't have to be a boring life with God, just waiting to go to heaven. Well, I'm just waiting to die. Well, they said I get to go to heaven when I die. That's what I'm waiting for. No, it's a life of adventure and experience with God. And you can experience Him personally. It's called ministry. Listen. You're never going to understand your life until you begin to apply your life in ministry. All of your hurts, all of your pains, all of your struggles, all of your strife, the problems, the difficulties, even your temptations. You're not going to understand any of your life until you begin to apply your life in ministry and do what he's called. No, John, that's what you're there for. No, it's not. I'm here to tell you how to do it. I'm here to teach you and do the best that I can to find a way to get you involved in ministry. And I'm telling you today, the first thing that you need to understand is the primary thing. And that is you can start today. You've got enough information. You've got enough knowledge. You don't have to wait for me to call you. You don't have to wait to teach a class. You don't have to wait to be anywhere in the church or any kind of... You can do it today, starting now. You can even start texting somebody and telling them about Jesus right now. You don't have to wait for me or anybody. You did. (laughs) 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, praise the Lord. That's awesome, Sandy. That's awesome. She did it right now. Isn't that awesome? Come on, give her a hand. That's awesome. <laughs> she didn't ask for that, all right? The world has tried to circumvent the process of healing. I'm about to wrap this up and go to lunch, Cindy, all right? The world has tried to circumvent the process of healing. And what have they done with it? They've said, okay, since we can't hide our stuff anymore because we've got the paparazzi now, we need to teach the world that the stuff we do that is wrong is okay. We need to teach the world that everything that we want to do is fine. Then they're not going to judge us when the paparazzi have pictures of us doing this stuff, right? So they've circumvented the healing process, and so many of us have bought into this stuff that, okay, we think it might be becoming normal, but lives are being destroyed in the process, and, and the kingdom of God isn't, isn't moving forward in some ways because of it, and the churches are even getting blocked now, and it's so interesting that, that there's no healing in that. Why? Why? Because God has created a healing process, and, and, and we've got to understand that you can go the, the route of Hollywood just to believe, okay, everything is okay, and nobody's judging, or you can redeem your past the way God has taught us we can redeem our past. God says your past can launch you into your future. Oh, yeah, but John, I've got some really dark stuff back there. I'd rather just believe that it was okay. No, 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 no. That's never going to bring healing. What's going to bring healing is when you begin to use your past as ministry and what God can do in other people's lives, and then you're not afraid of your past. You're not afraid of what's happened, and you're actually healed from it. It's not that it was made okay. It's made that it was redeemed. Your past can be redeemed, and you can begin to use your life and your experiences and the things that you've done that you don't ever want anybody else to do. Whatever it is, you can begin to use all of that towards God's kingdom and ministry. And people can find hope and people can find peace and people can find re release from their own mistakes in life. And they can find hope in their horrific experiences as you can. So when you come into the church at Relate Church, we celebrate your past when you use it for ministry. You don't have to hide it from us. Now, if you get up here and you say, well, I'm, I did this and this and this and everything's okay. No. No, I did this and this and this and Jesus delivered me. And I can help you get out of that too. It's a whole different deal. Your mission in life is to tell people the hope that you found in Jesus Christ. That's your mission. Well, when I get enough schooling and when, uh, when you say the right thing on Sunday morning, John, that's when I'm going to do it. Or when you invite me to go do it. or Do it today. Share Christ today. James David, would you come? And here's what I've found. I've found that when I look around... I begin seeing people, when I get my eyes off of me and my own needs, and I look around, I begin seeing people that God wants to do something in their life. I walked into a place one day, and a guy from across the way 
yelled, Preacher, wait for me. Okay. He ran up to me. And he said, I need Jesus today. Wow, the fish are jumping in the boat. That's unusual. Won't always happen that way. But sometimes it does. But why did it happen? Because I had talked to his friend and talked to this one as well, and he had heard. It wasn't me, it was his friends. They'd been sharing Christ. Some plant, some water, some get the increase. Once you've tasted, once you've experienced that, if you're in the delivery room and this newborn baby comes out and oh, takes his first breath, starts crying, and you realize, wow, there's a whole new life ahead. It's a beautiful moment. When you're in the birthing room spiritually and you get to pray with somebody, I've had moments where I was so excited I didn't even know how to pray with them. <laughs> God, this is awesome. And you get to hear them accept Christ into their life when they've had so much heartache and pain and strife and caused so many problems and now they're coming into the kingdom of God. It's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. And when you know that someone came to Christ because of your words, because of your life story, because of your mess-ups, man, it brings purpose to all of that. And while the world is saying, just ignore it, don't judge it, just pretend it's not there and everything is fine, you suddenly realize that, wow, what I did gave me an opportunity to lead someone to Christ. I never dreamed something horrible that I did could actually have this moment where this person came to know Christ because of my mess-ups, my sin. That's just beautiful. And only God can do that. And when you win someone to Christ, it's as though you've brought a child into the kingdom. But let me tell you, when you're spiritually barren, you can have problems. God wants you to have spiritual kids. Oh, John, I don't want to raise any more kids. <laughs> How much more fun is Christmas with kids? How much more fun is church when you have someone that came to church because you led them to Christ? How much more fun would that be? That's huge. You will never get to fully experience God until you begin to plant seeds of evangelism. Witnessing is trying to have a baby. What's the fun part of having a baby? 
Don't answer that. Let me look around the room first. I think we're okay. We don't have any two little ones here. Sex! That's the fun part of having a baby, right? And witnessing is the fun part of having a spiritual baby. You go out there and you try and you enjoy sharing Christ with somebody and then they come to Christ. Wow, it's huge. It's huge. Probably shouldn't have said that. would be fun to be in the kingdom of God experiencing that beautiful, beautiful place and what God has in store for us up there. It'd be fun to be in on what Paul and the apostle Paul the Apostle and all the guys experienced when they were here on earth. Great, great stories. But it's time to lay aside the fairy tale. It's fun to believe in Santa. It's fun to believe in Jesus. But it's time to experience Jesus. And I'm telling you, the only way you're going to experience him is to start doing what Jesus did. Doing what he did. And when you do what Jesus did, you're going to experience God move in to your life. When, I'm telling you, when you start telling someone about Jesus, it gives me chill bumps right now. The power of God is there to help you. And it's awesome. Would you bow your heads? So what I want you to think about right now Who do, who do you know that needs Jesus into their life? Start praying for them right now. Ask for a way. A way to communicate. A way to share it. John, I'm the last one that deserves to share that. I've, I've messed up so much, and they've seen me mess up. <laughs> Remember, God will turn all of that into something great if you'll let him. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you haven't accepted Christ into your life, but you just want to do that right now. You heard our testimony the wonderful things that Jesus has done in our lives. And we've learned to love him, accept him for who he says he is, what he likes and doesn't like. We've embraced as our own in order to accommodate for him in our lives. And so right where you're seated, just ask him into your heart. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to like what you like and dislike what you don't like. I want to embrace your life as mine. Because in that there's health and there's healing. There's salvation. And I believe in that. I believe that you want me to go to heaven. And God, I want to experience you on this earth. And so I invite you into my life, that first step. 
Would you please come into my heart? Thank you for forgiving me for my sins, what you did on the cross. I've heard about it and it's amazing. And so I invite you into my life. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me new. And God, help me to serve you. I want to learn about you, but I also want to just do what you called me to do. Serve you. Now let's pray for those that need to know about Jesus. God, we pray for the hard hearts, the minds of those who have, who have been thought about in the last few minutes right here in this room, the people that we know that are not saved. We pray for them, that God, you would begin to work in their lives. And if we hold the words, if we hold the past, things that we've done, things that we've experienced, the pain and struggles that we've faced, if it's us, God, that holds those memories of even sinful ways that we participated in, whatever it is that you can use from our past to begin to share what you've done for us, God, we ask you for the opportunity. We ask you for the timing and the wisdom to do that. In Jesus' name, I thank you. God, we claim souls for your kingdom. We believe you for it. So we turn our hearts over to you and our lives. And as we walk out of this place today, that we would be doers of your word, not just hearers. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. Amen.